It's a privilege for me uh, to introduce our preacher for Church Online this week. He is a dear friend of mine. He's the other Phil in my life. Uh, and uh, we've worked together now in one way or another for the last seven years. He's a planter of missional community. He's a dad of three boys, two of whom are twins. Uh, he is a little bit of a sci-fi geek in a totally positive way, and he is a deep thinker, and uh, I love working with him. It is a great honour uh, to be able to introduce him to you today. Uh, we both work as a team uh, with a certain bishop in the Diocese of London that you might have heard of, because he used to be the rector here at St Paul's. In 2017, Bishop Rick Thorpe planted the Centre for Church Multiplication out of St. Paul Shadwell, and since then we've been working to enable church planting, pioneer mission and church growth in lots of different ways uh, that actually got practised uh, in different uh, times here at St. Paul's. Phil Hoyle and I work as pioneers in the team and, and we predominantly rove around the diocese helping people uh, look at how they can uh, see church planted uh, in lots of different ways. We've had the privilege of seeing 73 new church plants uh, happen in the last five years and they look like all sorts of different forms of church and Phil's going to talk a bit about that uh, in his preach. All that to say God is up to something uh, and uh, here for our next instalment of the Fuel series as we explore the pioneer story in the book of Acts uh, all the way from Shepherd's Bush, Phil Hoyle. My name is Phil Hoyle and I am a pioneer at the Gregory Centre for Church Multiplication or CCX as it's better known where I work with Bishop Rick Thorpe, formerly of your parish and also Mark Bishop, uh, currently of your parish and with the wider team there we help people start new communities, churches, to reach new people in new places in new ways. I should also mention that I trained for ordination with Phil Williams at St Melitus uh, because I wouldn't want to miss him out. But unfortunately, I've got no time for those stories today, but maybe next time, you never know. Uh, I should also welcome you to my home in West London. Uh, I know that I haven't reached the quality of recording you're used to at SPNS, and for that I apologise uh, and ask for your forgiveness. I hope it's okay. Anyway, that's who I am, that's where I am. Uh, and I'm here because as I help people start new communities, as my day job, I'm here to talk about uh, how we can be fueled by the spirit for new church. Let me pray for us as we start. May these words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our Lord. Amen. So today's reading is from Acts 11, and in a lot of ways, this is a pivotal moment for the church. Here in Acts 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, HQ, uh, and is essentially asked to explain himself to the believers there who have kept their preaching only to the Jews. When he does explain, they believe him and they all celebrate that God is moving in a new way with a new people, with a people group that the disciples previously thought were off limits. The second half of the chapter then concerns some other missionaries. Uh, they've had to run away from Jerusalem because of the persecution that was happening there. And they started sharing the good news of Jesus with the people they met as they went throughout the world. In one of those places, Antioch, they hadn't just spoken to Jews about uh, Jesus, but also started preaching to the Greeks that were there as well. And what's more, those Greek people were coming to faith in Jesus. So hearing about this, again, the disciples at Jerusalem HQ send Barnabas, who's later joined by Saul, to check out what's going on, to help teach the new believers there and support 
the new church that's happening there. Then the passage drops in this little line, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. At the end of the chapter, Jerusalem sends some prophets who, whilst they're amongst the new communities there, receive a vision of a famine that's coming, and the new believers are able to contribute uh, to help the wider community of believers. It's a lot crammed into a chapter, uh, but I want to draw out three things that I hope will help you as you seek to help others follow the way of Jesus and be fueled for a new church. So first of all, uh, I want to say that God leads. Essentially, what we're seeing in this chapter is that God's spirit is moving ahead of the activity of the disciples, and they're kind of scrabbling to keep up with what's going on. We know that Peter needed a vision to tell him that God is okay with the Gentiles as well as with the Jews. We know that the disciples in Jerusalem needed Peter to come and explain himself before they would explain, uh, they would accept, sorry, what has happened. Uh, and then we also saw that the missionaries needed persecution to get them out of the city and to break new ground across the world. All the time, whether through good situations or bad situations, God seems to be moving ahead of them and reaching out, calling new people. And the disciples are very often surprised and on catch up with that. And I think the same could be said for the times we're living in now. I don't have time to go into all the theology or politics of the pandemic or our response to it now. But I want to talk about one aspect of lockdown here in the UK that I found surprising and interesting. A survey commissioned by Christian Aid and Tear Fund in May found that a quarter of adults in the UK um, had listened to a religious service or watched a religious service since lockdown. Uh, in young adults between 18 and 34 years of age, that rose to a third of them had watched a religious service. We also know that one in five people who watched a religious service had never been to one before. They were brand new to church. Isn't that extraordinary? I'm not sure that when we set up online services, we thought that they were going to reach new people. I think we thought we were doing the really good work of keeping our congregations connected and worshipping together online. But here we are. People are being part of church for the first time because of lockdown. And I don't know, maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you're one of the people that accessed SPS for the first time online during lockdown. Maybe it's even your first time today. If so, we want to say welcome. And thanks for joining us. We're so sorry that we missed you before. And we're catching up with what God was doing. Thank you for being a part of us this morning. I think this shift this year should get us asking, um, where is it that God's at work now that we're not seeing? Where are the places that we can see God's spirit moving and we're surprised, or maybe even a little disapproving? If we can't think of any, then maybe we need to take a look. I'd encourage you to have a think about where you see God's spirit moving in your communities, in your neighbourhood, in your city, and in our country. Who are the people that you think are outside the limits? Who are the people that you think God would just never work with? Because it might be, just might be, that God is at work already and we might need to catch up with what he's doing. So God leads. Secondly, people label. So humans love to label things. And to be fair to us, the Bible describes one of the first jobs our ancestors were asked to do by God was to name everything. And we've kind of never stopped uh, since. Here in this passage, we discover that the disciples are given a new label by the people of the city of Antioch, Christian. And the Greek language experts and biblical theologians have discussed what exactly the meaning of Christian was. Um, I'll give you a brief rundown of kind of the ideas of what they say. So firstly, Christ in Christian is the Greek translation for Messiah. And Messiah was the chosen one uh, or anointed one of God uh, in the Jewish tradition. 
It was a long promised king who would end the occupation of Israel and bring about an era of peace and wholeness for the world. Now, the disciples believe that Jesus was this promised one, the Christ. And that's why we call Jesus Jesus Christ. It means Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one. We also know from the Bible that the Jews didn't refer to the followers of Jesus as Christian or anything to do with the Christ because they rejected Jesus's claim to be the Messiah. So instead, they used the phrase the Nazarene sect to describe the followers of Jesus because Jesus came from Nazareth. You can read about that in Acts 24. Uh, that kind of stands today where modern Hebrew uses the label notrim for followers of Jesus. So at the time of our passage, the gospel is crossing the Jew and Gentile divide. And so the followers of Jesus are given a new name. I've heard it said that Christian meant little Christ or little anointed ones, or that it meant slaves of the anointed one. I've even read that the word isn't actually Christian here, but Christian with an E, and it was later changed to Christian in error. Why would someone think that? Well, Christos meant good. So it may have been that in Antioch, where the idea of a Jewish Messiah was less well known, they took the word that the disciples were speaking about, the Christ or Christos, and made a pun, Christos, meaning the good one or the goody goody, and then called the followers out of Jesus the slaves of the goody goody. Well, whichever one you plump for, the term Christian is most probably uh, supposed to have been used to mock uh, the disciples. We assume that because the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible, here where we're reading it today, uh, and then also uh, when it's used by Herod Agrippa in Acts 26, uh, and then by Peter in his first letter in the New Testament, where he describes being persecuted as a Christian, because that's uh, what people called the disciples when they were persecuting them. I think we could think of similar labels today, God Brotherers, Holy Joes, Bible Basher, God Sword, Jesus Freaks. You know, you get the idea. Now the disciples used their own labels for themselves. They called themselves brothers and sisters, the saints, the believers, the elects, or the friends, which is amusingly hoi falloi. You should have a go at saying that because it's quite fun, hoi falloi. Uh, one of the most common ways that the disciples refer to themselves is actually making a bit of a comeback. They're followers of the way. Why? Well, I think it's a crunch point in history where many people associate Christianity with oppressive power, with control, specifically linked to the religious right in America. I think it may be that when people think Christian, they think more about making America great again than they do about love your neighbour for yourself. And so the appeal of finding language that distances from that makes sense. Ultimately, though, I think um, what this drives us to is that we shouldn't worry about labels. It's what we believe and do that really matters. What's in a name? Shakespeare wrote in Romeo and Juliet. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Or, as James wrote in his letter in the New Testament, someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What you call yourself matters less than who you actually are. And as we're talking about new church today, let's think about the word church. Think about the word church. What image pops into your head? Now, the majority of people think of a building. Even if you are canny enough to think of a group of people, I'd say that when you pictured them, there's a really good chance that they were in the building that the majority of people thought when they heard the word church. Now, the word church and the style of community based in a particular building are intrinsically linked. Uh, that may be changing now that we're online doing it like this, but you can't really get away from it. I think that's why when I talk with people about how they could start new communities, I rarely say you could start a church. 
if I ever mention starting a church, people will say, oh, well, wow, oh, a church, a church. Uh, are you sure I could do the church? That seems a big thing. I'm not a vicar. What would I do? Oh, I don't think I could. Church? No, I don't think so. But here's a secret. The Bible never uses the word church to describe the followers of Jesus, not even once. In today's English translations, you can find the word, of course. Uh, but in the Bible, the collective word used for the followers of Jesus is ecclesia or ecclesia, which means something like the called out ones, and is in one place in the Bible used to describe a civic gathering in Athens. Essentially, it's a group of people selected from the general populace for a specific task of governance or organisation. Uh, early translations of the Bible into English use the word assembly or congregation in the place of ecclesia or ecclesia, which is a pretty good description of the meaning. So how do we end up with the word church being there? Well, the ecclesia of Jesus worshipped and met in homes most of the time, and the basic unit of the followers of Jesus would have been these wider families or households. However, inevitably, the followers of Jesus started building specific places to worship, and the earliest of these is dated around 250 BC. Uh, they started to become known as Kyriakon Doma, which meant House of the Lord, uh, which at some stage, crossing into Germanic languages, became Kirike, and later Chiliche, and then Church. This in turn meant that people and organisational structures became identified with the buildings uh, that were called church or churches. This was all pretty much sealed when King James was authorising his translation of the Bible in 1611. And one of his rules was that the word uh, ecclesia must be translated as church and not assembly. And so now we often think of buildings and structures and institution when we think of church, even though there's no linguistic connection there originally. But so what? I hear you cry. I do hear you cry that. Uh, what does any of that linguistic noodling have to do with us today? Well, I think just this. The way we think of what it takes to start and be a church is bound up with the way that we've thought and thought about what a church is. And that is at least partially to do with the label church. If I said to you right now, could you start up and lead a church? You might simply say, no, definitely can't do that. But if I said to you, do you think you could gather uh, some people, see if you could get together and do some good and share faith and your faith story in your neighbourhood? What might you say? Doesn't that seem just a bit more doable? I think what we call things shapes our thinking, but God is much more interested in what we're actually doing than what we call it. What is that quote? The kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. Okay, okay, so God leads, people label. So third and finally, I want to say, be liberated. Now, because the word church doesn't appear in the Bible originally, Jesus never tells us to go and start churches. What he does tell us to do is to love God and love our neighbour. He tells us to go and care for, share with and tell people about him and to encourage and help those people to do the same. And who does he say that we should do this with? Anyone and everyone, and especially those who seem furthest away from him or in greatest need. And where does he say that we should do this? Absolutely anywhere and everywhere. He says go into the whole world. And when does he say that we should do it? Sunday mornings. Only kidding. The Bible says be ready in season and out. In other words, anytime it comes up. And how should we do it? 
Well, firstly, this series is called Fuel. And whatever we do as followers of Jesus, we do it fueled by the power of the Spirit. So I pray that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be fueled for this work. And secondly, remember, God leads. God is ahead of us and already calling all kinds of places and all kinds of people to him. As that's the case, we should expect to be loving and caring and blessing and sharing the good news in loads of different ways. What's appropriate in the university may not work in the shopping centre. What makes sense online may not be applicable in cafes and pubs. What happens in 2020 might not be applicable to what happens in 2021. But overall, God wants us to give this a go. He is ahead of us and calling us into these new opportunities. I encourage you to get some people together, pray for each other and give it a go. Fueled by the Spirit, you can make new church. A prayer to finish. God, thank you that you lead us into new things. Thank you that you don't worry about labels, but you're concerned about what's going on in our hearts and what we're doing with our hands. May we follow your way and take the good news and the blessing of Jesus to new people, in new places, in new ways. Amen.